Well, cooler weather must be upon us because we have the bell choir back in action. They don't seem to want to do much during the hot summer summer months, so welcome back. Thank you for getting us started this morning. Welcome to First Church this morning. Also, a special welcome to those listening on the radio. Uh, a few announcements here before uh, before we start a worship service. There's a lot of things going on here at First Church. Please look at the bulletin to, to look those over. A few items to highlight. Uh, we have some flowers here on the altar this morning. The first set of flowers are in celebration of Dorothy Preter's birthday tomorrow. So wish her a happy birthday. The second set of flowers in celebration of Eric and Jana's 40th wedding anniversary. Our music folks. Coming down from upstairs, I believe. Happy anniversary to you guys. And we also have a birthday boy here today. Lee Scherer celebrating 80 years young today. So wish him a happy birthday. The children's nursery, which is normally held in the basement, um, is being held here this month of October in the Southwest Sunday School Room, which is over here to my right. So if you have some young ones, uh, feel free to uh, bring them over there. There is no high school, again, no high school Bible study this afternoon. And the adult Sunday school, which is Jay, Jay's group, which normally meets in, uh, I think, the Heritage Room, they will not be meeting after Sunday, uh, after worship service this morning. Uh, the asbestos removal is still in process. The restrooms, hallway, and social room are accessible for use this morning. Please do not enter the marked off areas. We also have a guest with us this morning, so welcome him. Uh, Mr. Roy Plyman with the Gideons will share a few words with us. So if you see him after worship service, thank him for coming and what he does for us. Today is Pastor Appreciation Sunday. Thank you, Pastor Joel and Allie, for everything you do for us. Our youth pastor, Tori, and her husband, Jake, are out of town celebrating their first wedding anniversary, so they will not be with us this morning. After service and throughout the week, please share your, your thoughts, and email, texts, and, and, and uh, hugs and smiles with them um, for what they do for us. Please rise and join me in the call to worship this morning, which is taken from Galatians chapter 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now let us sing our opening hymn number one, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee.
Next, we'll have children chat, and while they're coming up, please uh, share a smile and a hug to those near you. Hi, guys. Hi. How are you? Good. Good. I've got a problem. I want to serve, but I'm not exactly sure how I can serve or what I should do or what it takes to serve. What, do you guys know what it means to serve? Help me out here. Food. You can serve food. Yeah, that's one. How do you serve, Michael? Uh, one time I served cake and, I, and people just ran up and got it and said, please and Okay, yeah, use please and thank you. How, how else? Like, I don't know how to serve. What do I do? Like, you can, like, you can pray or, like, you can, or you can, like, help. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, pray and help. Well, I looked up the definition of serve, and it says to perform duties or services for someone or something like a business. Well, my mom told me I need four things to serve. Okay, so I'm like, well, mom knows best, so what do you think my four things are that I need to serve? Food. Well, food, we serve food, but... Think of parts of your body. This is what she said. She says you have four parts of your body to help serve. Bones. Bones. But what kind of bones? What do you need, Leah? Um, your legs. Your leg. Okay, so your feet. You need your feet and your legs. Your face. But what's on your face? Your mouth. mouth. Okay. So we got two of the four. What's my my hands? Good job. What else? <laughs> this one you guys might not think of. It's red, and it goes in the shape of this. A heart. A heart. So how do we use our hands and our feet and our mouths and our hearts to serve? I still don't know. Okay, so you carry stuff. Do you carry stuff for yourself, or do you carry stuff for who? You carry stuff for other people. Yeah, you carry stuff for other people. Well, I saw a bunch, a big old barrel with a bunch of coats. Do you think people maybe use their feet to walk inside the building to bring in coats for a one warm coat drive? Mm-hmm. Yeah? How do we use our mouth? We talk. We talk. Well, what do we talk about? You just did it. I, ju- I just did it. Good job, Michael. I just did it. So what do we, what do we talk about? <laughs> Who do we talk about? More question. Who do we talk about? We talk about God. Well, what do we talk about God? Did he, did he show service to other people? Yes. Yeah? Why did he show service to other people? Because people need food. People need food. You're right. He took, did you know that he took fish and he took bread and he made many, many, many to serve 5,000 people. And they're like, there's no way we have this much food. But he did because he served it out of the kindness of his heart. He wanted to serve with his hands and his feet and be an example of how to serve. But the last thing that we mentioned was our heart. What's our heart got to do with anything? Our heart helps keep our body alive and also meet. You're right. our, our heart is the beating organ that helps keep us alive and moving. But if we don't have our heart in what we're doing, then we might as well not do it. Because if we're not doing something for the right reason to serve others, then it's not, you know what I mean? It's not, we need to serve others with the purpose of serving God. Because when we serve God, serving others comes naturally, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What you got, Michael? Without your heart, you'll just go like, oh. Yeah, without your heart, you go, But God makes our heart beat. And so we need to make sure we're using our heart, our mouth, to tell others about Jesus, and our hands and feet to do the legwork, to do the hard work for us. But your heart actually does the most. Yep, yep, yep. 
All right, so let's pray, okay? Your heart and your brain do the most because they have to, like, control what you're going to do. Yep, yep. I do like your shoes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these children up here today. Lord, we thank you for your awesome efforts and your demonstration of how to serve and how to be a servant. Lord, let us live by your example. But not only let us live by your example, let us be a part of your example. Speak through us and help us serve greatly for your name. Amen. Thank you, Shelby. As the kids are finding their seats again, I want to invite forward our Gideon speaker for this morning, uh, Mr. Roy Pileman. He'll be taking a few minutes to share with us about the work of the Gideons and what they do and why, why that ministry is so important. We're so glad to have him here this morning. Uh, and after he's done speaking, uh, I'm going to actually ask him to stay up here because that will lead right into our prayer time. We'll have an opportunity to pray not only for uh, the needs and the concerns that we normally have here during the day, but also for the Gideons and their work. So, Roy, thank you for being here this morning. I have this on. Do I yep. Turn that off? You did? Okay. I was on the FBI's most wanted list. No, not me. But this is a testimony of Mary Kay Beard, who, along with her husband, safe crackers and bank robbers, found themselves on the FBI's most wanted list. She also found herself arrested alone in a cold jail cell in Alabama. Alone in that cell, she reached for the only thing that was in there besides herself, and that was the Bible placed by the Gideons. She picked it up and found a verse which changed her life. Ezekiel 36:26, which says, A new heart of flesh I will give you. A new spirit I will put in you. I will take that stony heart of flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. Alone in that cell, she found God. Because of the Bible placed by the Gideons. She went on to become the leader of Bible teaching at that, at that jail and her time spent there. She gave her life to Christ. And she witnessed the impact on the children of those people in prison on the mistakes that the people had made. And she saw that the children were so impacted. She started Angel Tree Ministries which mentors and provides Christmas gifts to the children of those in prison. Her first year, her ministry served 550 children, and now it serves over 63 million annually around the globe. She has spoken at numerous getting events through the years, giving full credit to that Bible placed by the Gideons for changing her life. We are constantly in awe of the power of God's Word. We are the Gideons. We are a group of professional and business people, of men, all members of local churches, and we act as an outreach of the local church to bring lost souls to Christ. We currently have over 171,000 members in over 200 countries. We distribute God's word in the pathways of life. Hotels, motels, universities, hospitals, prisons, jails, and the military. Last year, with the help of the Gideon's Auxiliary, we distributed 81.2 million Bibles and Testaments. This past year in Auglaize County, we distributed over 1,395 Bibles and Testaments, including 525 at the county fair. The Auglaize County Gideons regularly has four men and three auxiliary go to the, local j- to the county jail to, to minister, including passing out 110 Testaments last year. This is the Testament that we often send out, pass out. The thing that we have with this little testament that makes it unique is it has an index in the front for any of life's problems 
and will direct you to a verse that will help you get, get God's look, answer to that problem. As it says in Isaiah 55:10, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, that it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. That is God's word. John Price was the son of atheist and alcoholic parents. He found himself in a hotel room. His mother already passed out for the night. His father still out partying. And he felt alone. And he reached in that nightstand and found a Gideon Bible, which by no coincidence fell open to Psalm 2710, which says, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. As often happens when we have a, ho- a Bible in a hotel, somebody in need takes it with them. That's by design. That's what we want to happen. This child took it with him, gave his life to the Lord, continued reading, eventually not only giving his own life to Christ, but also bringing his mother and father to Christ. He went on to attend Moody's Bible Institute and is now a pastor. All because of a Bible placed by the Gideons. In 1973, John Lord received a testament just like this when he joined the military. He had been brought up Christian and felt no need to do anything with it at the time. He just put it in his backpack. Three, three years later, his life spinning out of control, addicted to drugs and alcohol, he asked his God to take his life. But God led him to open his testament and gave him a verse that changed his life too. Once again, God's word did what it was intended to do. It changed his life. He also is a pastor today. In all the testimonies we get as Gideons, God's word did not return void. It accomplished that which it attendeth. We are to go out and bring people to Christ. That's what the Gideon's mission is. And there's still billions of people that still need served. We go places the local church can't and represent the local church when we go out. What can you do? First, we ask you to pray for the Gideons and pray that the opportunities continue to open up for us in places where in the past they weren't open, that we can get God's word where it needs to be. We ask you that if there's anybody who feels drawn to the Gideon ministry, to prayerfully consider talking to their pastor about becoming a member. Every scripture that we pass out is funded by a local church somewhere. Together we distribute more than one million copies of God's word every five days. And we reach, we reach many people that they would never see a Bible if it wasn't for the Gideons. We obviously need your support. Currently $5 places a Bible in a hotel room. And $125 distributes 100 testaments. The Gideons go out. When we distribute, all our costs are paid by ourselves. Every penny that goes to the Gideons goes to the distribution of Bibles. We also have a Gideon card program, which, for the, no different than the price of a card you'd buy at the store, you can send a card out and then donate Bibles in, the, in that name. And finally, if God puts it on your heart to donate to this ministry, we sure appreciate it. And together we can bring the lost souls to Christ. Thank you, Pastor Joel, and thank you, First Church of New Knoxville, for allowing me to be here today. I appreciate it. We're glad you're able to be here with us today. You mentioned donating to the Gideons, and it is definitely a cause that's worthy to do to place God's word into people's hands. So if you feel led today, there are a couple options that you can do as a church, as one as 
The Gideons is one of our mission projects for this month, so we've already committed to make a donation out of our Warner Fund of $1,500 to the work that they do. But if you'd like to give above and beyond that, there's a couple opportunities. There's Most of you, I think, in your bulletin today got an information packet about the Gideons, and there's an opportunity in there to, to uh, re- there's an envelope in there and, and a form you can fill out in order to donate that way. Um, if you'd like to, in addition to that, um, any money that you place in the offering today that you mark towards the Gideons will be added in addition to the gift that we have already committed to give. And so there's an option there as well if you feel called to give uh, above and beyond what we as a church have already committed to do. So um, like all of our mission projects, this is one that is definitely worthy of support in our, not only financially, but through prayer. And so let's take a moment and pray together for the Gideons, for the work that they're doing, as well as the other concerns that uh, God has placed on our hearts and placed before us today. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for, for the Gideons. We thank you for their work. We thank you for their desire and their mission to place your word into people's hands and get and place it, Lord, in, 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 in places where people are often looking for hope. And so we ask, Lord, that you would continue to bless them, continue to, to further the work of their ministry. Um, and we do pray, Lord, knowing that your word does not return to you empty. We ask that you would work in and through them by your spirit and through the, the power of your word, Lord, to reach many lives with the gospel and with your grace and the goodness that you can bring to that. Uh, Lord, we pray that many, many more people uh, would have the same testimonies like we just heard today. People changed forever, transformed from the inside out by the power of your word. And we ask, Lord, that the Gideons, that first church, that your body, your people would be a part of that, that we would faithfully respond to the call you've placed in our lives to share your word with others. And so we ask, Lord, for financial provision for the Gideons and all the work that they do. In addition to that, we ask that you would surround them with churches and pastors and others, Lord, who are are willing and able to support them through prayer, as we are doing this morning. And so, Lord, we lift them up to you and ask for your guidance and your provision for them. And, Lord, we ask the same for, for our church and our community, the names that are represented in, those, in our bulletin this morning. There's a lot of concerns there, whether they're health or financial or otherwise, Lord. Uh, you know exactly what's needed, and we ask for your, for your care and your provision to be experienced and known. Uh, Lord, we also lift up our Sunday school teachers this day. Uh, we, we acknowledge, Lord, the, the hard work and the effort that they put in each and every week to teach our children and our teenagers about your word and about your love. And we ask, Lord, that you would give them, uh, that you would bless them this morning, give them energy, Lord, to continue to work with our children. Uh, and I pray that you would use them to speak truth into our children's lives. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Welcome. I invite you now at this time to stand and join us as we sing uh, number 281, The Bond of Love. seated. This time I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, if, you're, if you'd like to give above and beyond uh, to the Gideons, this is an opportunity to do so. Please just mark your giving as you put, place it in there.
Good morning. You may be seated. Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want for me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink, and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Sam. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for your word. Uh, We're so grateful for the opportunity uh, now to gather under your word and to uh, hear what you have to say to us this morning. Uh, We ask for your guidance as we study it together. We ask for your spirit to move and to enlighten us to what you have to say this morning. I pray for open hearts and open minds, and I pray that you give me the words to speak. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're here today at the final uh, sermon in this series about discipleship, about what it means to not just do the things a disciple does, but what it means to truly be a disciple. And we've talked about being an everyday disciple. We've talked about the importance of, of moving beyond just Sunday morning only, beyond the walls of this church, to live out our faith each and every day. We've talked about what it means to be faithful to the Lord, be be. Uh, be born again, to know Him as Savior and Lord and to allow Him to transform us from the inside out. talked about being authentic with God and with others. Uh, We've talked about the importance of being true to who God has made us to be, to be true to God's Word and to live out that through confession and repentance and and in community with other believers. talked about commitment, what what it means to truly commit ourselves to the Lord and live out our faith each and every day and commit to Him not only... um, when we're here, but, but time and resources throughout the week as well. And last week we talked about what it means to be teachable, to, to allow God to work in and through us, especially through his word, uh, to teach us and to shape us and to mold us over a lifetime. And so today we're coming to the last of these uh, characteristics of a disciple. We're going to be talking about what it means to be a servant, what it means to look beyond ourselves and look to serving God and serving others in our world. In the passage that Sam just read for you, it starts off with an interesting question. James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, they, they were nicknamed the sons of thunder. Uh, they were often uh, very boisterous, very loud, uh, got a reputation for putting themselves out there. And they, uh, they uh, go and they, um, they ask Jesus a question. And like any parent, right, they ask this question and they say, Lord, will you do something for us? As a parent, you know there's always something behind that, right? When your kid comes up to you and says, will you do something for me? Will you, uh, you know, you, they, they always ask that question. They want you to commit before they tell you what it actually is. I've learned as a parent now of a four-year-old, you've got to be careful with those things. You don't want to commit yourself before you know what's going on, before you know what they're going to ask. And here is, is an interesting case. Uh, they ask Jesus to, for a favor, in essence, and the favor they ask is for him, for them to be seated uh, to his right and to his left in the kingdom of heaven. You see, those positions weren't, they weren't just about being close to Jesus. Those were positions of authority and positions of honor. To sit at Jesus' right hand and in his left hand meant uh, that they were, in a sense, second and third in command. They had a position of authority in the kingdom. And this question is is interesting because... Uh, when we ask questions like that, when, we, when we're going at the root of it, I think 
the, the issue that they were dealing with was, was not just wanting to be close to Jesus. I think that's a valid and, and appropriate uh, concern. But I think they're, they're, at the root of what they were asking was the, was the pride of, of being in that position of honor. The pride of being seen and associated with Jesus, even in that position in the kingdom. And so as we talk about what it means to be a servant, as we talk about what it means to, to look beyond ourselves and serve God and serve others, I think we need to first deal with the problem at the core of, of all of us, of who we are, and that is pride. You see, pride gets in the way of our ability to serve and truly be a servant like God is calling us to be. And the reason for that is, is, is pride is that tendency to put ourselves first above and beyond anything else, including the Lord. Our pride gets in the way. It, it, it gets, it's an inability of, to look beyond ourselves and look to the needs of others. And so to truly be a servant, to humble ourselves in that sense, we need to first deal with our pride. We need to acknowledge it and, and see the effect that it has on us, and we need to be able to, in doing so, move beyond it. And I say pride is at, the, is at the core of who we are because it's at the core of what happened at the fall all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. We're very familiar with the story, right? God created heaven and earth and everything in it was good and he placed Adam and Eve at the center of this garden. And the one explicit command he gave them, the one prohibition he gave them was to not eat of the fruit at the, of the tree at the center of that garden. And of course, that temptation was there to go and to eat the fruit. There was the serpent whispering in Eve's ear, did God really say that? And do you really believe that that will happen? At the very core of of that temptation was pride. The pride to put ourselves above God. The pride to put our, our wisdom, our understanding, our set of rules above and beyond the Lord's. And so at the very core of that temptation, that, that doubt was, was, are you going to allow God to be first in your life or are you going to put yourself in that place? And that's, that's pride. And then we can't truly serve if we're consumed with that mindset. Now, pride, it shows itself in a lot of different ways. You know, I could stand up here and, and list all of the effects that pride has on our lives, but I wouldn't have the time. <laughs> None of us would have the time to sit here and understand how that works itself out because it's really at the core of so many, um, so many concerns and issues that we have. Uh, but I, I do want to focus on a couple that I think, uh, that really show themselves here in church and what it means to be part of God's people and part of the body of Christ. Because our pride gets in the way here too, doesn't it? It's not an easy thing to acknowledge, and I'll be the first one to stand up here and say that it gets in my way too. Uh, but we need, to, we need to acknowledge that. We need to be real with ourselves, be authentic like we talked about a few weeks ago if we want to be able to move beyond it. And so there's a couple things that I think... Uh, often get in the way of our inability as the body of Christ to to really serve as he's calling us to serve. And, and the first is that we often allow our preferences to take precedence. We allow our own desires, our own wants, our own concerns to take precedence over anyone else's, including the Lord's. And that plays itself out in a number of different ways. You could have concerns about uh, the preaching style of the pastor. You could have concerns about the, the type of clothing you wear to church or what the sanctuary is decorated with or even, you know, the music that's played or the kinds of uh, things, the elements that take place, in the, take place in the service. Those are all preferences, and I'm not pointing those out to say that preferences are bad. Preferences are good. We all have preferences, and we should embrace those. But when we allow those preferences to take precedence, over what God is doing. And when we allow our preferences to be the first consideration instead of looking to the needs of others, that's when we have a problem. Because the reality is, with the number of people we have in this room, we're going to have that many different opinions about things. We're going to have different preferences and different desires and different wants. And if we allow those things in ourselves to take over, then we're going to lose the unity that God calls us to have in Christ. We're not going to be able to serve each other like God calls us to serve. And so we, we can't allow our own preferences to take precedence in those cases. 
Paul speaks in Philippians chapter 2 to the importance of, of putting others' needs and others' uh, preferences first. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul encourages the church, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In other words, you know, he, he doesn't just come right out and say you shouldn't prefer one thing over another. That's not what he says. He says, rather, instead of, instead of having selfish ambition, instead of just making yourself the center of your own little universe, you need to look to the interests and needs of others and put those above your own. Remember when I was in seminary, I took a class on, on um, Christian worship, church worship. I forget exactly the title of the class right now. Uh, but it was all about how you gather like the corporate worship experience like we're doing right now. And the concern and, and, and one of the topics that came up was this idea of different preferences, different styles, and, and is one necessarily better than the other? And, and it led to an interesting conversation in the class. And, and um, as you all know, I am not a musical person, so I wasn't really getting a whole lot from the musical side of the class. But this is the one thing I remembered was that the, the, the professor stood up in front of us and he had served as a worship pastor and, a, and, and pastor in different capacities and different churches. And he said, imagine what it would be like. Imagine what the church worship experience would be like instead of people just concerned about having their own needs met or their own preferences met. Everyone in the church is willing to put those aside for the needs and the preferences of the person sitting next to you. Imagine what that would change in, in the service of the church. Imagine what that would change as we live out what it means to be the body of Christ. If we weren't looking to our own desires or own wants, but we're all, each one of us, saying, forget about what I want. Let's do what this, next, what this other person wants. Forget about my desires. Forget about my preference, but let's worry about someone else's. Imagine what kind of experience that would bring to the worship service when each one of us are looking to the desires of others. And so our pride often gets in the way of that. Our pride often also uh, tempts us to stay within the walls of the church. Instead of being externally focused, instead of going out and living out our faith each and every day in the world, including how we can serve and help others in our community and even within the body of Christ, outside of outside of Sunday morning. Uh, the temptation with pride is just to keep it all into ourselves, to stay within the walls of the church and just worry about us and not go and serve like God is calling us to serve the world. Last week we looked at the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Jesus gives the command, go to all the nations and make disciples. He doesn't say stay within the walls of the church. He says go and make disciples. We need to go out, and, and in order to fulfill that command, we need to go. We need to put our, our selfish ambition and our pride aside and go and serve. And we see that represented in our last E statement, uh, that in our mission statement. It says we are called to enrich the body of Christ by going forth and supporting fellow disciples. Going forth. We need to go out from this place and serve but our pride often wants us to stay in and stay here. When we think of pride, we think of the, the natural inclination is to think of uh, the person who just thinks too much of themselves, right? The person who's, who is puffed up, the person who, you know, just, just is the center of their own universe. And that's true. That is one side of pride. But another side is the person who just beats themselves down over and over again. The woe is me, you know, have pity on me. I say that they're both forms of pride because in both of those cases, the focus is on the self. True humility, true service is not drawing attention to yourself, but looking outward, looking to others, looking to the Lord and constantly pointing out to them. So if the issue is pride, we need to know how to how to fix that. And that is done through humility. In Mark chapter 10, where John and James asked this question of Jesus uh, that the, the verses leading up to this contain a couple other points that help us hammer home uh, Jesus, Jesus' concern here. He says, and, and earlier in Mark chapter 10 is the story of the rich young ruler where Jesus reminds them that, that, that none can be saved apart from God's work. What is impossible with man is possible with God. 
In other words, we can't save ourselves. It is a work of God from beginning to end. And after that, Jesus reminded them for the third time the price that he would pay for their redemption, that he would go to the cross, he would die there so that our sins could be forgiven. And so we need to be reminded of those things if we want to be truly humble. If we, want to, if we want to crucify our pride, we need to truly grasp the reality of the gospel. The gospel is the antidote to the poison that pride brings. If we truly understand that we can't save ourselves, that we can do nothing apart from Christ, then we will find ourselves in a humble position. In 1 Peter chapter 5 Verse 6, he encourages the church. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. If we want to put, if we want to kill our pride, if we want to focus on serving others like Jesus calls us to serve, we need to, we need to focus on others. We need to humble ourselves and acknowledge that we can't do it on our own. There's a concept of the, that many theologians call the kingdom of God the upside-down kingdom. And the reason they say that is because of the principle that Jesus is teaching here in this passage. That to become great, you must first become less. In order to be first, you must make yourself last. In order to be the greatest among you, you must be the servant of all people. It's a very upside-down way of thinking. It's, it's backwards to the way our brains and the way we normally operate. The way that the world has taught us to view things. The world says if you want to be great, you need to work for it. If you want to be great, you need to, you need to put yourself up and up and up above others. But God says if you want to be great, you need to lower yourself. You need to humble yourself before God and before others and be willing to serve and put others first. That's what true greatness looks like. And we need to look no further than what Christ has done for us on the cross. If we truly want to be a disciple who serves, if we want to serve the world like God is calling us to do, we need to look no further than the example that Jesus set for us. So first, we need to learn to love like Jesus. In Matthew 22, Jesus gives us the great commandment. And we often think of it in the first part. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says this is the first and greatest commandment. He goes on to say the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets hang on those two commands. In other words, loving, in other words loving your neighbor is an extension of our ability to love God. To think of it another way, if we, if we aren't loving our neighbor, we need to put our love for God in question because they go hand in hand, they're connected. The love that we have for God and the love that we have for our neighbor, they fix those broken relationships from the fall. I mentioned Genesis 3 earlier. The moment that they, Adam and Eve took that fruit and they ate of that tree, their relationship with God and their relationship with other, the, each other was broken. It was severed. The sin had created a, a, a roadblock there. And so the, our ability to love God and love others helps overcome those broken relationships. And so love is simply wanting God's best for another person. It's the ability to speak truth and love when necessary. It's not truly loving to just allow someone to destroy themselves through their bad decisions or their, 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 their moving away from the Lord. True love wants to see that person come to repentance. True love wants to see that person know the Lord. And so it's not loving to allow someone to just continue a path that you know is not good for them. True love calls them back to the Lord. True love calls them back and holds them accountable for their decisions. So love is wanting God's best for another person, not just necessarily what they want or what they think they need, but what, what God says they need. And first and foremost, that's speaking truth, that's speaking the gospel to them. So we need to love like Jesus, but we also need to serve like Jesus. We need, to, we need to meet the physical and spiritual needs of other people. We, want to th- we think that sometimes it's an either-or statement, that we either serve people by providing them food and shelter and clothing, or we preach the gospel to them and, and meet their spiritual needs. But the reality is we can do both, and God calls us to do both. We're called to meet the physical needs of people and their spiritual needs. We need... The Jesus of Matthew 25 who says, whenever you do these for the least of my brothers and sisters, you do for me. And we need the, the, the Jesus of Matthew 28 who says, go and make disciples of all nations. We need both of those because they're both the one and same Lord who calls us to serve the world. 
And we need to be willing to go into the world to meet those needs. We can't just sit on our hands. We can't just stay in our holy huddle here. We need to go out and serve the world as ambassadors of another kingdom on a relief mission. In John 17, Jesus says in his prayer for the disciples, he says they're, uh, they're, they're in the world, but they're not of the world. He says that you don't call them to, out of the world, but we ask for God, he's asking for God's protection over them while they're in the world. And that's what God is calling us to do. He's not calling us out, but he's calling us to go and to serve and to love on the world and share the gospel in that way. And serving then also means our, our need to make more disciples. We've talked a lot about discipleship over the last five weeks and the importance of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And we can't talk about that if we don't also talk about what it means to then make more disciples. We need to be willing, all of us, not just pastors, but all of us, to step outside of our comfort zone and make disciples. I want to read Matt, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, if you're willing to turn there with me. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, he gives us a picture of what that kind of discipleship looks like. Paul, speaking to Timothy, said, And these things you have heard from me, and these things you have heard me say in, my, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. There's four levels at work here. Paul is saying, I have passed on the faith to you. I have taught you what it means to follow Christ. Now you turn around and teach other people who are then able to go around and teach others. That's what discipleship is about. It's about sharing the gospel and seeing other people equipped to follow Christ themselves. And there's no seminary degree required to do that. How do we make disciples? What does it mean to share that with others and equip them to follow Jesus as well? Well, we do it the same way that Jesus did. We live life together. We serve one another in love. We we remind each other of the gospel and its power to destroy pride. We root ourselves in God's word and in prayer. And we do it together. See, Jesus served us perfectly. And he now empowers us to then go and do the same. We can serve because he first served us. We can love because he first loved us. And he gives us the great example of, of what that looks like in John chapter 13 with the, the washing of the disciples' feet. He bowed down and took on the, the role of a servant and washed the mud and the dirt from their feet. The role that was reserved for the lowest of low servants. And Jesus took that upon himself. And when he was done, he said, now you go and do likewise. You go and serve each other in the same way. Now, he wasn't talking about us physically washing each other's feet. He was talking about us having that same attitude, that same mindset of humbling ourselves and being willing to serve one another and put each other's needs first. A disciple crucifies his pride and is willing to, to, to serve God and love God by loving others. And that's what we're called to do as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for calling us to serve. And I pray that by your spirit, you'd equip us to do so this day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's stand and let's sing the first verse of our last song, number 296. We have a story to tell the nations. Those of you who heard earlier today, Brian mentioned that today is a Pastor Appreciation Sunday, 
And on behalf of the congregation and consistory, I'd like to thank Pastor Joel and Tori for all the work they've done. It doesn't seem like too long ago you were standing up here on, I think it was like July 1st, on a hot Sunday giving your first sermon. (laughs) And so we appreciate all your efforts and we appreciate your leadership. So thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. Let's just say a, a prayer in closing of our service. Lord, we are grateful for who you are and what you've called us to be and to do on behalf of your kingdom. And I pray now that we would go from this place equipped and empowered to, to live that out in our homes, at work, and in any place you call us to be, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>